0: <laughs> that was de- That was developed by a church in Atlanta called North Point uh, a pastor named Andy Stanley um, who created the structure for this series and uh, I just find it to be a really really refreshing series because we 're talking about breathing room and what the Bible says about breathing room in all different areas of our life. so we talked about uh, you know breathing room in our time breathing room in our schedule um, today. Before I introduce today's topic, just everybody just take a real deep breath for me, just for real, and let it out. Okay, good. Now that you're relaxed, um, we're going to be talking about breathing room in your finances. Uh, and so if you're here today and maybe you brought a guest and you're going, oh no, is this like the giving sermon? Um, just relax, because it's not, okay? We may have one of those, but today's not not it. So just, you're good. Um, <laughs> uh, this sermon is directed not at getting anything from you. This, this, this sermon is directed at giving something to you that you not only desperately want, I know that you desperately want it, but you absolutely need it. Okay. How many of you would say that you could use just a little bit of breathing room in your financial life? A little bit of breathing room, right? Here's the reality. That's probably 95% of us. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're making $5,000 a year or you're making $500,000 a year. Because we, what we end up doing is we end up spending up to our capacity, no matter what it is, if it's $10,000 or 100000 or a million, and we all say, you know what, yeah, actually I could use a little bit of breathing room in my life. Now, you know, when you talk a- a- about money in church, It's important to set everybody's mind at ease. So I'm going to tell you my own little background on this concept of breathing room, all right? There was a period in my life in my mid-20s, and I'm embarrassed to admit it, but there was zero breathing room in my life. Not only was there not breathing room, but it was like negative breathing room. I was like under the water. I had um, I was living in Los Angeles. I had a a, a part time job working at a production company, and it wasn't that I wasn't making money. I mean, I wasn't making great money, but I was making a little bit of money. But it just seemed like no matter what, I never had anything. I never had I had a I had a studio apartment, apartment kind of in the hood, like at Mariposa and Wilshire in Los Angeles. So if you've been to Los Angeles, you know where that is, right? And I had the studio apartment. I didn't have a television. I didn't have a dresser. I didn't have, you know, like a couch or anything to sit on. Didn't have paintings on the wall. I actually didn't have a bed. I had a mattress. I didn't have a telephone. I mean, I was broke, right? I had a bucket of quarters and a beeper. Okay, that was my communication system. And if you needed to get a hold of me, you just hit my beeper. I'm going to grab a quarter, run up to the McDonald's, to the payphone, and I'll hit you back, Okay that was my system at that time. Um, (laughs) I don't recommend that system. Uh, I, I bought a, I bought a a red 1986 Subaru that I used for my transportation. The Subaru had a cracked engine block, so smoke would billow out of it. It had no brakes. I mean, they had some brakes, but not, not very, not much. Um, Apparently, it had a sort of a compromised title, as I learned when I got pulled over um, one time, and the officer informed me that um, that this car, somewhere in the past, I didn't steal it, but somebody did uh, in the chain of of, of ownership. So, it, you know, as he's calling the tow truck to tow this truck, to this this '86 Subaru to the impound yard, I'm like. I'm I'm reaching down onto the floorboard and I'm getting the floor mats because I bought those floor mats myself. And so I'm getting the floor mats and I'm like, "Um, these are my floor mats, okay? Just, these are my floor mats. I bought these floor mats, officer. And I'm like digging change out of the seats and like, this is my money also. So take the car, but this is mine, right? So the officer's looking at me like, man, this poor guy, he just doesn't get it. Okay, not a lot of breathing room there financially, right? Here's the irony. At some point while I was working, I did start to make some money. And it didn't change the breathing room in my life. Um, I, I remember I, I worked on a project and I got paid. My, my first paycheck on this project was more money than any amount, than all of the money that I had made in the first, you know, 22 years of my life combined, right? And I took this check to the Bank of America where I checked, which was right at the corner of Mariposa and and Wilshire, right by the McDonald's. So everything I did was right there. And I took the check in and it was a big check. And I gave it to the teller, kind of like, there's my check. You know, she looks at the check. She looks at my banking history, you know, my account balance history. uh, And and she says, excuse me, sir, uh, I'm just going to need a minute. So she goes and gets a manager. Manager comes out. He looks at the check, looks at me looks at the check looks at me is like okay we're going to we're going to deposit this but there's going to be an 11 day hold on this check and i'm like but the issuer of the check is like right down the street you know and i'm becoming indignant now because now i'm like a you know now i'm a respectable member of society I just, i'm de- here's the reality that increase in income helped i've got to pay off debts i paid off people that i've been borrowing from and all of that. But because I didn't understand the concept of breathing room, it didn't take long until I was right back at the same spot. I was right back to where there was no margin, there was no leeway, there was no breathing room in my life. Um, And what we're going to talk about today, if you are not a, a Christian, if you're here today and you're like, I'm not really a a, a believer, I'm kind of on the fence, I'm thinking about it, maybe, you know, I'm sort of interested, then what you're going to hear today is some of the, well, the most important wisdom that you can hear on the issue of finances, okay? If you are a believer, if you are a person who is a follower of Jesus, then what you're going to hear today is the imperatives of the Bible without which it is very, very difficult, if not impossible, to develop a flourishing relationship with God if you don't understand the principles on this issue because it is a huge issue biblically. So breathing room, for our purposes in this series, the definition of it is the space between your current location and your total capacity, right? So the difference, the cushion between your location and your limitation— That's breathing room. If you want to, you can grab your um, bulletin. There's sermon notes on the inside, and you can follow along and and write on those notes if you like. Um, And they have the scriptures and and little fill-in-the-blanks. So let me get, I'm going to get just a little nerdy with you and a little image-driven for just a second, okay? Um, Just so we're all clear on what this means, all right? Breathing room. Here's a graph of, here's your income. And down here, I don't know if you can see this, this is time. This line means time. So, your in, if your income is greater than your expenses, the, the area in between, that's breathing room, right? Does that make sense? That's the area where it's like, yeah, you're not tapped. You're not totally tapped, right? But the problem is, most of us, we live a little bit more like this graph, where our expenses sort of come right up to our income and then there's not, there's no space in between, right? There's no breathing room. And then we may experience some difficulty or some challenge or something like that. And then our expense actually goes over our income. Anybody ever had that happen? Um, and then you're, then you're in like, you know, Mariposa and Wilshire land. You're, you're underneath, you know, you've got a beeper and a bucket of quarters. That's your life. Um, (laughs) And, and and this is an area where a lot of people live, right? And even if you don't live this right here, there's some, you know, there's there, there's some chart that sort of shows either a slender margin or no margin or whatever. Here's some stats for you, just for fun. So over 40% of U.S. families actually spend more than they earn. 40%, okay? Okay. Um, Americans carry an average of $8,400 in credit card debt. Average mortgage debt for Americans is $155,192. And the average student loan debt um, is $32,264. So all of us have this this stuff in our life that causes our sense of Breathing room that margin in our life to be very very diminished The reality is that the Bible says an extensive It gives extensive insight and wisdom on this topic And if you are a believer if you are a follower of Jesus You've got to get a hold of this because this will this impacts deeply your ability to have a flourishing relationship with God Okay here we go. I'm going to give you some 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 core principles from the Scripture. One of God's primary competitors for your love is your stuff. Okay? It's point number one. And what does that mean? What that means is we all have stuff and we all need stuff. And stuff is like food, clothes, shelter, transportation, stuff that we need, right? But then there's stuff that we don't necessarily need but we like. TVs, uh, trips, um, you know, beepers, like, you know, stuff that we, 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 we like, right? Dinners, out, vacations, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But the reality is a lot of times we end up liking that stuff more than we even understand. And pretty soon, instead of that stuff serving our lives or serving the ends of honoring God and helping others, we end up serving the maintenance of that stuff. What I mean by that is we start to borrow, and we work, and we, and we sweat, and we toil, and we worry, and we pour out all of our energy to serve the maintenance of the stuff that we love. And God says this. Actually, I'll just tell you right what, what Jesus says. Jesus says nobody can serve two masters. Either you love the one Uh, uh, Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You would think he would say you can't serve God and the devil, or you can't serve God and something else, right? But but, but, But Jesus knew, long before anybody ran analyses on this stuff, Jesus knew that we would find ourselves in the position of serving the maintenance of our stuff and that would squeeze out our ability to open up and have a relationship with him. So are you going to serve him or do you, are you going to serve the stuff, right? That's point number one. Um, does this mean that we shouldn't work hard? Does this mean that we shouldn't try to uh, get a good job and make money? Does this mean that we should, you know, not put our kids in a good school or not try to live in a nice neighborhood? It does not mean that. What it means is that we need to be careful about the degree to which we begin serving the maintenance of our stuff. Because we can become a slave to that. And when we become a slave to that, then, then that occupies all of our time, our energy, and our focus. And we do, not, we do not have time to open up our life to God. That's just the reality of, of that. And how do we know? How do we know, right, if we're, if we're starting to move in that direction? How do we know? Is there a litmus test for that? Look at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You see, so if you find that no matter how much money you make, you're never satisfied, then you may be experiencing a love of money that is not healthy and that is prohibiting or is detrimental to your relationship with God. Now, all of us are guilty of this. Because I think probably every single one of us has at some point said, if I just had a little bit more, then everything would be cool. If I just had just a little bit more. And then you look back, and you look 10 years in your past, right? And you say, I was saying that then, and I'm saying that now, and some of you are making a lot more money now than you were then, okay? But we keep doing this because we find that we're, you know, our our desires sort of increase along with our income. Um, the principle from that verse is that financial breathing room has little to do with income and a lot to do with your affection. Where are you setting your heart? Where are you directing your heart? Right? Where does your heart go? Um, it's uh, it's fascinating because, um, like, for I'll, I'll give you an example with with exercise, right? Because I've been, you know, since the new year, getting out there and exercising. I've got a I've got a relationship. My body and I have this relationship, this ongoing conversation. My body likes to weigh 171 pounds. It just likes it there. It's comfortable. That's where it wants to be. In my mind, I want it to be 155 pounds. We, you know, that we, so we have we have a we have a disconnect. We have a conversation about 5:30 every morning. You know, if, if I'm heading to the gym or not. Um, but here's the deal: if I go get a really good workout. Well, actually, we're, we're at a standoff right now at about 165 pounds. I don't know if that matters to you, but um, we're, we're ha- we, we've got a truce going on. Um, but when I, when I work out and I exercise really hard, then something in me says, you know what, you've built a little breathing room. Why don't you go and eat a little extra, right? right? So, there's, so that's just what happens, right? It's just when we, we think we're going to get a little bit of margin, we just fill it right up. Um, so how do we direct our heart? right? If we keep finding that our heart is being drawn into this tractor beam of more, 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 how do we direct our heart away from that? Um, here's an important passage from the scripture, an uh, important principle. Your heart follows your money. Your heart follows your money. It follows your treasure. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know what, just follow your heart? You ever heard? I mean, that's like the most popular phrase. You know, If we ran a, a, if we ran a, a, a search on that phrase— I guarantee you, like, everybody who, um, you know, wins an Academy Award, it's just follow your heart, right? And the area of finances, let me push back on that. Don't, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. I don't know if you've been following the news, but there's this, these two teenagers that are, like, going through the south. The new Bonnie and Clyde, they're calling them. They're going through the south. There's two teenagers. They're in Atlanta, and they're in Tennessee and Kentucky, and they're robbing places, and they're burglarizing places, and they're stealing trucks, and they're cashing bad checks, and they're just—nobody can catch them. They're just—one's 13, and one's 18. It's crazy, and they're out, just out there going nuts, like. Right? You know what they're doing? They're following their heart. That's what they're doing. They're like, you know what? Let's just, right? The Bible never says, follow your heart. There's nowhere in the scripture does it say, follow your heart. You know what it says? Direct your heart. It says, direct your heart. Because for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. The Bible could have said it the other way around. Jesus could have said, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to go. But he didn't. He said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart goes. It follows, if you put your, and it's not just money, right? It's your energy, it's your time, it's your skill, it's your talent, where if you direct that in a particular direction, your heart will then follow that. I use this example in our 201 class all the time. If you're on the, on the mentoring team with Kirk Williams, and you go over to Brittany Woods Middle School, and you go spend a couple hours tutoring you know, 14-year-olds in math, when you leave there, guess where your heart is? It's with those kids. You're, you're, you're thinking about them. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder if, it, if it's going to... Because your heart follows wherever you're putting your time and your energy and your resources. It, that's where it goes. My, I, I, my dad was a, a great pastor, and he performed weddings all the time, and he used this one line, and I rip it off in every wedding that I do. And he would always say this. He would always say, the grass is always greener, On the side that gets the water. So in other words, if you want to build a loving, nurturing, fun, enjoyable, healthy relationship with your spouse, then put some time and energy and nourishment into that relationship because that's what will make it grow. Right? So wherever you're putting your time, energy, resources, that's what's going to grow. Right? So your heart, Jesus says, follows your treasure. Okay. So those are some sort of big overarching principles on this topic. So you may say, all right, so what are some, some down-to-earth, nitty-gritty things that I can do that will help me to direct my heart, that will help me to create that breathing room, that space in my life, all right? Um, I'm going to give you four four principles here. Number one is we create breathing room when we break the grip of, of debt, when we break the grip of debt. I have a, a, a lawyer, buddy of mine here in St. Louis. He's a bankruptcy attorney and he, I, I was on the phone with him the other day, and he said, you know what I, I, I wish? He said, I wish that every church in St. Louis would spend an entire series on debt, because as a bankruptcy attorney who is doing this every day, and he's a Christian, he's seeing people get crushed by debt, and A lot of times it may be something that's out of your control, a medical issue or something happens that you can't control. But a lot of times debt arises because we start loving stuff more than we should. And we start wanting stuff more, you know, and we don't have the money to pay for it. And the Bible says a lot of stuff about debt and none of it is really good. You know, here's here's how Proverbs says it extremely plainly. It says the borrower is slave to the lender. And what that means is, if you don't have the money to pay for something, and you go borrow the money to pay for it, then now you're going to be working for the person who gave you the money to pay for the thing. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that all debt is bad or anything like that. I'm not making categorical statements. But what I'm saying is, we've got to be careful that we don't put ourselves in this sort of crushing grip of debt that does not allow us, Then we become slave to it, and we become a servant to it, and it doesn't allow us to be a servant of God. Right. Because we're serving our stuff. Number two, we create breathing room when we shift our goal from cash to character. When our goal shifts from cash to character. What does that mean? So the Apostle Paul, uh, very important Christian figure, wrote a huge portion of the New Testament. Um, Most well-known apostle. Everybody knew him. You know, powerful, powerful guy. What he was seeing in the early church, he was seeing people come in, he was seeing them open their hearts to God, he was seeing them give their lives to Christ, and then he was seeing that there was a part of their life that wasn't aligned with the teachings of the scripture, and that is that they kept finding themselves being attached to wealth and attached to things, and they would pursue that, and it would and, and, and it would cause them all kinds of difficulties and challenges. So in other words, what was going on in the first century is exactly the same thing that's going on now like people don't change right so paul sat down and he wrote a letter to one of his one of his mentees one of his disciples one of the pastors of a church there a guy named timothy and look what he said this is huge he said timothy i want you to know that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil he said some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What I want to stop there just for a second. He's saying the what happens when they attach themselves to the pursuit of money for its own sake, they end up causing themselves all sorts of heartbreak and chaos and pain and grief. It's not that money is bad or that things are bad or that you shouldn't have good things. It's that when that becomes your pursuit, you're going to end up harming yourself and those around you because you're getting obsessed with something that is just tangential something that's just temporary it's not something important and real in the grand scope of things he said but you timothy flee from this and do what pursue righteousness godliness faith love endurance and gentleness in other words he's saying shift your pursuit from cash to character and when you do that you will actually create breathing room in your life you will not get obsessed with accumulating wealth for its own sake Okay? You'll start to open up your life to God because you'll be pursuing, you'll be putting your treasure, you'll be putting your time and energy into that. And it's going to open up breathing room. And that's, it's for you, right? Okay. Good. Everybody tracking so far? Everybody good? Okay. Um, number three, we create breathing room when we practice generosity. When we practice generosity. Now, I would urge you to just... You can even do it now while I'm preaching. Google the effects of generosity, okay? And then just look at the secular websites on this. Don't look at the church websites. Just look at the research from any institution anywhere. Um, there's a couple researchers from Michigan and then Berkeley, and then a couple different um, uh, res- you know a couple different um, studies that they did on this on the study of the effects of generosity. I'm going to read you a couple little findings that they found. They found that people who lived lives of generosity, either with their giving or with volunteering or spending time helping other people, it improved their mental health, it improved their physical health, it promoted longevity, it reduced their stress, It enhanced their sense of purpose by shifting their focus from themselves. They found that generosity is a natural confidence builder and helps to combat feelings of isolation and depression. It promotes a sense of trust and cooperation that strengthens our ties to others and fosters a heightened sense of interdependence and cooperation in your social community. In other words, it's good for you. It's good for you. In other words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. If that sounds familiar, it's because the Bible figured this out a long time ago. Okay, now here's the, here's the travesty, and here's where we can just get real, okay? The travesty is that this principle has been totally perverted in a lot of churches because what is, what's happened has been taken to this kind of crazy, wild extreme. And, and, you know, and then preachers will be known as whatever it is, prosperity preachers or name it and claim it or, you know, whatever it is. And the the sermons then boil down to this. If you give money to this ministry, you will then get rich financially, right? And there's all kinds of, like, weird, manipulative, quirky ways that they say that. But it all ends up boiling down to that statement. And the sadness is is that there's actually a tiny, tiny, tiny germ of truth in the sense that if you live a life of generosity, you will experience a life of blessing, right? Right? But, but the problem is the other segment of pastors don't want to say anything about this because they don't want to be lumped on with the other guys, right, who are hucksters and con men and flim flammers and, you know, snake oil salesmen and whatever you want to call them, crooks. Um, so, you know, but unfortunately the Bible has all this really powerful, deep penetrating stuff to say that is real on this topic, uh, and it just gets buried in a lot of noise. And, and, that's, and that's unfortunate. So we're just sort of unraveling that right here and right now. Let me read you the passage. Jesus said this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And what he's saying is, if you want some breathing room in your life, then live a life of generosity and see if your life doesn't open up. See if your life doesn't open up. And if you're skeptical of this, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. If you're skeptical of this, especially coming from a preacher, especially coming from a preacher who benefits from you giving to the church, right? So I've got a a dog in the fight, right? So then then I would urge you to do this. If you're skeptical and cynical of this principle, then give your money somewhere else. Go find somewhere else to give your money and see what happens in your life. Give it to the Red Cross. Take, Take some you know, percentage of your income and give it away to somebody who's, you know, in need and see what happens in your life. All right. And then if you and if you then realize, you know what, that guy's actually telling the truth, then come back, become a member of the church, support the work of the ministry. Okay, And then when I do have the giving sermon, I'm coming after you. All right. We got through that point. Is everybody still okay? Did that didn't hurt. Right. All right. (laughs) All right. This is the last point. We create breathing room when we shift the source of our security. Okay, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this my, my, I took my wife on a date on Friday night. We do our Friday night date nights. And we went to this uh, rock gym or this like climbing gym. And you go to these climbing gyms and they give you these little special shoes that are really tight and pinch your toes. And they give you a harness. And you go up to these walls and then they got a guy or or a woman who will train you and they hook you up to these ropes. And on the other end of these ropes is what's called an auto belay. All right. And what that what that does is, you know, it's hooked to your harness and then you climb up the wall. And there are all these little handholds that you climb onto. But the auto belay keeps you from plummeting to your imminent death. Right. So if you fall off the wall. The auto belay, somehow the way it works, it grabs, it, it, it creates tension that adjusts to your weight, and it keeps you from falling off the wall, right? So you, it doesn't pull you up the wall. You still have to climb the wall, but if you fall off the wall, then you're not going to come crashing down. And actually, when you get to the very, very top, this is the, the tricky part, you get to the very, very top of the wall, then the, the guy says, the trainer says, okay, now just let go and lean back. And the auto belay will catch you. And everything in your body says, you're crazy, man. You're standing on the ground. I'm 30 feet up. And you want me to just let go of the wall? Yeah, no, I'm not doing that, right? <laughs> but if you don't do that, you know what happens? Your forearms start to go like this. And then I, I remember one guy, when I, when I did this once, he called it the Elvis Presley, because what happens if you stay up there too long, your leg starts to go like this. It's very embarrassing when he's saying that while it's happening to you. You know, you're like, and he's like, hey, Elvis Presley. You're like, shut up, man. Um, here's the principle, right? God isn't saying, hey, don't work. Don't, don't strive. Don't climb the wall. Don't try to, you know, make your life better or bring in income. Uh, but but don't put your trust in that. Don't put your identity in that. Don't Don't put your security in that. Put your security in me, God is saying. Let your trust be in me because there may be times when you're going to do the Elvis Presley up there, right? There may be times when you fall off the wall. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's not. But I want you to put your trust in me, not in your wealth, not in your stuff, not in your riches. Put your trust in me. I got you. I got you. Look what he says in Hebrews, the last verse. Keep your lives free from the love of money, he says, and be content with what you have. Why? Why be content with what you have and don't put your trust in money? Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm your harness. I'm there. And sometimes if you're you know, just grasping on and you're not going to be able to hold on, don't put your trust in that. Don't put your trust in riches. Lean back. I got you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to keep you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And that's going to build breathing room in your life, right? Because even if there's no financial margin, trust in God. He's going to look after you. He's going to take care of you. He's your father. He wants to set you free. Amen. Amen. All right, let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this really powerful, powerful principle and this really powerful information. Um, It's just an area of our life that affects every single one of us, where we live, where we go to school, what we eat, what we buy, what we wear. It's just it's just it's all over our life, the issue of finances and the issue of financial breathing room. And we're just grateful that your your book reflects this and that you have so much to tell us and so much to say and so much wisdom and insight uh, on this topic and god we ask today that you would help us to incorporate these principles into our life uh, we ask that your spirit would move in our life and give us strength oh god to to live out what you've called us to 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 do and to be uh, we ask god that we we don't veer to the to the extremes on this stuff but that we we walk down the middle of what you're telling us and we apply the principles and the truths of what you're telling us, Lord, to our lives so that we can live a life of breathing room. We can live a life that's full of strength and joy and abundance and that we can live a life where we have a flourishing relationship with you and a powerful relationship with others that we can serve them and take care of others who are in greater need than us. Father, we thank you for this. We ask that you inspire every single person in this room today with your love and your strength and your wisdom. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.